eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Oh, Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Today is our preview podcast, University of Southern California. We've taken on the University of Nevada this weekend, 3.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. We want to do a preview show. I was going to do this actually as part of our Tunnel Vision show. We do Thursday evenings, but I had a great guest and we had a really long segment. So we're going to do it as its own standalone podcast, our preview podcast. I'm talking with uh, later on the show, with pretty soon, Chris Murray. You can follow him on Twitter at by Chris Murray, B-Y, Chris Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y. He has been covering the University of Nevada football team uh, for over 20 years. He's with Nevada Sportsnet, uh, was part of the local newspaper beat up there for a long time. And uh, like I said, he's been covering this team for a long time. You can go over to nevadasportsnet.com for more information. But we had a really good conversation about uh, USC and uh, UNR. Uh, coming up, and we'll have it up here in just a few minutes. If you uh, like the show and want to send us an email or any kind of questions, you can do that podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. And if you do have the Apple Podcasting app, we really appreciate a five-star rating. Of course, you can follow us over there. Uh, any kind of review, it does help to grow the show. We appreciate that. And I... I forgot uh, our show on Wednesday that we did. I totally forgot to mention our sponsor, Trader Joe's. So make sure you go to TraderJoe's.com for uh, all the latest news and notes of what's going on with Trader Joe's. And they do these contests every once in a while. It's funny, they did a burger contest. Uh, so you had to use diff uh, different in you know, Trader Joe's ingredients for your burger, take a picture. And uh, the grand prize was announced. It's the Italiano burger, and it looks amazing if you go to check it out. Uh, they use uh, five ounces of Trader Joe's sweet Italian sausage, five ounces of, of 80-20 ground beef from Trader Joe's, salt and pepper, fire-roasted red peppers, uh, Trader Joe's garlic spread dip, and uh, the couple of Trader Joe's brioche buns, Trader Joe's sliced mozzarella cheese, and Trader Joe's organic marinara sauce. 
It looks really freaking good. Make sure you go check it out. The recipe is up there over at uh, TraderJoes.com. And I want to let everyone know, too, if you are not a subscriber over at USCFootball.com, uh, why not? You should be. But if not, you can sign up right now for 50% off. So make sure you go check it out. Uh, we have the uh, special going on for a few more days. So go check it out over there, over at Trader, uh, it's Trader Joe's, USCFootball.com. And uh, you won't be you you won't be disappointed. Subscribe. It's about four dollars and fifty cents a month. It's like less than the cut the price of a cup of coffee. So go check that out, and uh, we'd really appreciate it. So what we're gonna do is gonna take a quick break. Come right back, and uh, we'll be talking with Chris Murray about University of Nevada football. Of course, taking on your Trojans uh, this weekend in the Coliseum. Back in a minute. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, uh, we are joined here by Chris Murray. Does a great job covering uh, the Nevada Wolfpack for Nevada Sports Net. Uh, Chris, welcome in, uh, to the Parastel Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, I mean, the USC fans, but I don't think they're super familiar with uh, the, the program up there in Reno. Um, this is, what, second year for Ken Wilson taking over the program. Uh, Jay Novell left for Colorado State uh, a little over a year ago, I guess it was. Um Two and ten last year. Like, where where do you think this team is? Like, right now, heading into twenty twenty three. Well, I ranked them eighth out of twelve Mountain West teams in my preseason power ranking. So I'd say a little bit below average Mountain West school. Certainly, last year was very difficult. I mean, Ken Wilson inherited a roster that was completely depleted. You mentioned Jay Norvell going to Colorado State. He took uh, you know twelve to fourteen players with him. Some of the better players on the roster. So. Last year, they did not have a lot of firepower, and it certainly showed. Now, they were in a number of close games. They probably should have won. Very easily could have won five or six games. So, um, started out 2-0, and then lost 10 in a row. So, they'll be looking to snap a 10-game losing streak. They have added uh, a dozen Pac-12 transfers this offseason. So, it's a more talented roster. Their starting quarterback, Brendan Lewis, uh, started at Colorado in 2021. Um, they brought four or five players from Cal. They're two top running backs. Sean Dollars from Oregon, Ashton Hayes from Cal. Both those guys played in the Pac-12 last year. They added two Pac-12 wide receivers, John Jackson the third from USC, Isaiah Crocker from Oregon. They're starting tight end, Kalecki Latu, played for Cal the last couple of seasons. So it's basically a Pac-12 JV-ish roster. Not a lot of these guys <laughs> played at their previous Pac-12 schools. So they came here for the opportunity to play a lot more. And I do think offensively, um, you know, they will be much better. But it is year two of probably a four-year rebuild. So Nevada is a 30-point underdog for a reason. 
That's their largest underdog spread they've ever had. Uh, the previous high was 35 points when they played at Florida State 2013. Florida State ended up winning the national championship that season, and Nevada lost that one 62-7. to So the Wolfpack will hope to keep it a little bit closer, but certainly from a personnel standpoint, um, they're trying to rebuild that. It's nowhere near uh, a championship caliber Mountain West school. Yeah, it's a 38-point spread, which is really big. USC was 31-point spread last week against San Jose State, who I think is going to be pretty good. Um, they they end up winning by 28. Uh, but yeah, that's interesting. The the 12 or a dozen players or so from Pac-12 schools, certainly an influx in talent, you know, infusion of talent. It's tough. Coach leaves and like more than, you know, 12 players are going with them. I think that's hard to replace. I think overall with like the, the two and 10 record from last year, losing last 10 straight, what's your sort of like over under bar you think for Nevada this year as, as number of wins go? Yeah, I'd say right around five. Um, I think you look at most of the betting lines, it's a little bit lower, four and a half. I think at one point it was three and a half. But the schedule is actually fairly manageable. Non-conference, they have USC on the road and Kansas at home. So two power fives there. The other two non-conference games, Idaho, an FCS school, and then Texas State, which hasn't made a bowl in the last 10 seasons, hasn't had a lot of success at the FBS level. And then you look within the conference, Nevada does not play Boise State or Air Force. Those are the top two teams in the preseason poll. They also don't play San Jose State, which was picked to finish number five. And they obviously have some really good offensive players. Chevin Cordero, their starting quarterback, preseason yeah. Mountain West player of the year. So I think there's a reasonable expectation this team could reach a bowl this season um, because of the schedule being fairly light and because of the improvements on the offensive side of the ball. Nevada was 10th in the Mountain West last year and scoring 10th in points allowed, but I actually thought the defense was fairly solid. The offense gave up five touchdowns return for uh, return for touchdowns defensively. So the offense really put the defense in some very bad positions. Um, and the offense really was the more problematic side of the two balls last year. So that's why they have put a lot more resources in terms of those uh, power five transfers onto the offensive side of the ball. I think in total, you're talking about about 25 power five transfers when you include the players they added last year. So um, you know, they've tried to get this roster to a point where it's solid. I think defensively, it's a little bit more solid than offensively. But I think it'll be interesting to see how Nevada does on offense because of all these new players, specifically Brendan Lewis, at quarterback, um, you know, who did play a full year as a starter in the Pac-12 previously. He did. Uh, USC got to see him in 2021 uh, when he was at Colorado. And uh, yeah, the mobile quarterback, it's going to be interesting. Is He's the the starter right now. And is, uh, you know, what what's the coaching staff kind of think of uh, Lewis coming in and, and running the show? Yeah, he ended up winning the starting job. So Nevada split between two quarterbacks last year. One of them graduated. The other one, Shane Illingworth, was a transfer from Oklahoma State. He started five games. He's actually their number three quarterback. So that shows you how much they've upgraded that position. And really, across the board, it's very similar. Um, the backup to Brandon Lewis, A.J. Bianco, is a retro freshman from Honolulu, from St. Louis High, which has had a number of NFL quarterbacks. But sure. Brandon Lewis in particular, um, you know, Nevada recruited him hard out of high school under Jay Norvell. Didn't work out. He's from Melissa, Texas. Uh, ended up going to Colorado, started all that 2021 season, started last year's season opener, got benched after that game, and then ended up entering the transport portal right then and there. So, um, you know, he committed to Nevada on Christmas Eve. Uh, he was already voted a captain of this team, one of four captains, two on offense, all voted by the players. So certainly from a leadership perspective, he's gained a lot of credence in that locker room. I think in the weight room, he's earned a lot of respect for how hard he's worked there. He wants to prove that he can be a pocket passer, but certainly his legs are a big attribute 
Um, you know, he, he didn't get the ball down the field uh, super well. I mean, at Colorado, I think the passing game is something that needs to develop a little bit more. But yeah. Nevada doesn't have a great offensive line. It's really struggled the last couple of years. So I think having someone more mobile at quarterback compared to last year will really help that unit if they make mistakes. Brandon Lewis can make that offensive line look right, even if they do miss a block. So I think that's one of the big reasons. And this is basically the Oregon offense that Nevada is trying to put in place here with the Wolfpack. So there are a lot of read pass options. There are a lot of um, demands on the quarterback being able to use his legs to get first down. So I think Brendan Lewis does fit the offense a lot better than the two quarterbacks who split the starting job last season. A couple of guys that he'll be working with, um, I think USC fans are probably familiar with, John Jackson III. Obviously, he was at USC. His dad was a Trojan legacy. I wanted to see how he was doing along. And then, you know, we, we've seen Sean Dollars at Oregon as well and a couple of those wide receivers you mentioned, um, some of the Pac-12 players maybe specifically with Jackson and, and Sean Dollars how have they looked and what kind of role do you think they're going to play for Nevada this year yeah I mean Dollars was here in the spring so he obviously got a little bit more of a head start than Jackson who didn't enroll at Nevada until um, this up uh, the semester that just started last Monday so he wasn't here during spring ball so I think John Jackson uh, you know in game one I'm sure he'd like to have a dynamite game but you know he's still kind of learning the offense a little bit he did move here uh, in the summer, kind of on his own dime and, and moved in downtown so he could start working with the guys a little bit earlier. He's currently listed as a backup wide receiver. Um, wide receiver is a big position of need for Nevada. They're not very strong there. Their best wide receiver is a kid named Delvon Campbell, six foot four, um, fastest guy on the team as well. He's a transfer from Illinois who played for Nevada last year, had about 40 catches. So he'll be their top target. I think you'll see John Jackson get on the field, maybe 10 to 15 reps, but maybe not heavy reps. In terms of Sean Dollars, he did win the starting running back job. Now, he's not the biggest guy. Oregon listed him at 5'8", 199 pounds, um, more of an all-purpose back. So my guess is he gets about 15 touches. And then the other running back, Ashton Hayes, who played at Cal last year, actually originally committed to Nebraska, ended up reneging on that because he thought that Scott Frost was going to get fired, and he was right. Scott Frost <laughs> uh, was fire, fired three games into the season, so he was, he was bang on there. He's actually a Reno kid. He played for two different high schools here in northern Nevada, so he's a local kid come back home. So he'll probably split 50-50 reps with him. Both those guys are more all-purpose back kind of guys, though. Um, you know, I could see Nevada using them in the passing game, lining them up in the slot. They want to get them outside the tackles. Nevada doesn't necessarily have a bruiser in between the tackles, so it'll be interesting to see how their run game evolves, um, you know, with a little bit um, smaller, shiftier guys back there rather than your your bigger running backs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can't really look at this depth chart without seeing Pac-12 transfers all over the place. I could probably name off 15 to 20 just on <laughs> offense. But yeah, John Jackson, I know he's very excited to be here. Um, we did have him on our show uh, during fall camp, and he said his best friend is Caleb Williams. He's really looking forward to this game. So I think that's a pretty common take for a lot of these Pac-12 transfers is they want to prove that they can be good college football players because they went to bigger schools and they didn't get a lot of playing time. And a lot of them suck it out for four or five years, and it just didn't turn their way. So, you know, I think this is their opportunity, maybe not specifically in this game because that's going to be a difficult one, um, but just throughout the season to show that they can be a good FBS football player. And I think John Jackson fits into that category. Sean Dollars averaged almost six and a half yards per carry during his time at Oregon, but just around 50 carries in his career over four seasons. So I think he's going to be a really good running back in the Mountain West. And I think a lot of these transfers will be really good in the Mountain West. It'll just take some time to sort out. Um, you know, who who is capable of of making big plays at, at the college level. On the defensive side, uh, we'll kind of get your overall assessment, but first, uh, Elijah Winston, another USC transfer, uh, been over there. How's he sort of looked? He's kind of rush end right now, and, uh, you know, maybe that position group, what they've looked like. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, he actually, we featured him on a story on our website today. So oh. we did recently catch up with him. I think his goal, he said, is 15 and a half sacks. That's a lot of sacks. Um, he did play for Nevada last season. He transferred here as a middle linebacker, but then moved to rush in and started about uh, seven or eight games toward the end of the year. Uh, I thought he actually played pretty well, um, considering, you know, a lot of his backstory is middle linebacker, but he is at the rush end position. He's currently listed as their number two there. Um, I think he's still going to get probably 50% of the snaps or more. To me, he's probably their best rush end. He's their biggest rush end. And uh, he did make some really good plays toward the end of last season. So now this being a second year in this scheme, this being a second year in Nevada, this being a second year playing this position kind of full time, I think you will see a lot of out of, out of him. I'll probably take the under on the 15 and a half sacks. But <laughs> um, yeah, he's one of two USC Trojans on Nevada's roster. Jason Rodriguez, an offensive lineman, did transfer here. Uh, after spring camp, only lasted a couple of practices before he ended up um, leaving the team and retiring. So you got that uh, uniformity there with a couple of USC players. But a lot of these kids grew up wanting to go to USC. Um, you know, we've talked with them over the offseason about, you know, how important this game is. Nevada's best recruiting base has always been Southern California when it's had really good teams. Um, so, you know, a lot of people in Southern California want to play for the Trojans. So it's certainly going to be a meaningful for a lot of Wolfpack players. I'd say Nevada's best position this is an inside linebacker. They have a uh-huh. freshman All-American, Drew Watts, coming back. He's uh, one of the captains. They have a kid named uh, Naki Matialona from down there in Southern California who grew up a big USC fan, so he wants to play well. Those are your two re- uh, returning starters at inside linebacker, and they added uh, Oregon transfer Jackson LeDuc, also played at high school ball here in Reno. Um, you know, He's come back to help that position as well. They did lose their top three tacklers. They did lose... Uh, a guy named Don Peterson, um, who went to Narbonne High School, who uh, is top five in program history in sacks and tackles for loss. So they're going to have to replace him. Um, he was a super big piece to what they did. They do return their uh, two starting cornerbacks. But really, safety and who's going to get the pass rush are the bigger questions. And I think Elijah and then a kid named Dion Washington from Las Vegas, who's entering his third year here in Nevada. Those are probably going to be your two best pass rushers. So I do think Elijah Winston is going to play a big role for Nevada in 2023. Um, if you wanted to pick, like, for maybe each side of the ball, like a strength and a, a weakness as far as, like, position group sort of goes, um, you know, I've, I think there was a lot of sacks last year. I don't know if the offensive line would be on the weakness side. But any thoughts on the offensive side, strength and weaknesses, and then we can talk about the defense. Yeah, I mean, on the offensive side, the offensive line is the weakness. Um, and it's it's interesting because Chris Alt, who's a college football Hall of Famer, yeah. um, he was Nevada's head coach for 28 years, over three tenures. He was the yeah, it was weird. he had three tenures there. Let's go. Yeah, he's the, actually <laughs> the only head coach to ever lead the FBS in uh, passing yards in a season and rushing yards in a season. So wow. he's had three 1,000 yard rushers in a season. That happened in 2009. That's the only time that's happened in uh, FBS history. He also had an offense uh, in the early 90s that was thrown for almost 5,000 yards per, per season. So he was an offensive ju- uh, guru, a juggernaut. He resigned in 2012. And up until that point, Nevada's offensive line, which they called the Union, um, had always been its strength regardless of all these other skill position players that made it big in the NFL, whether it was Colin Kaepernick, whether it was Nate Burleson, whether it was um, you know a number of players, Joel Batonio, the most recent Wolfpack star is a five-time APL pro and offensive lineman. That offensive line has really fallen apart since Alt resigned. I think you go back to 2009, Nevada's had like 10 different offensive line coaches. Their current offensive wow. line coach, Angus McClure, was at UCLA for a long time. He was yeah. most recently at Cal, and he also um, was at Nebraska. He actually has had three different tenures on the Nevada staff as well. But he inherits a group that has only 37 career starts among it. Their most starts of any player, Isaiah World, their left tackle with 10 career starts, got them all last year. That's a kid who only played one year of high school football. 
So it's a very, very young offensive line. The last two years, Nevada's allowed 79 sacks. They've averaged 3.15 yards per carry. Now, they didn't have the most mobile quarterbacks. That inflated the sack number and obviously the yards per carry number because sacks count against rushing yards. Yeah. Um, but that is the biggest question mark. In terms of strength, I would probably go running back. You have those two Pac-12 transfers, um, and I think those guys are going to be really good players in the Mountain West. There was also a kid named Cross Patton who was a walk-on at Oregon. His dad is a big boy from uh, Outcast. <laughs> so he's in his second season at Nevada. He might get some carries as well. Um, not super deep in that running back room, but if I had to pick a strength, I would say running. What well, on the uh, on the defensive side? I mean, you mentioned kind of the corners coming back, but they'd given up some plays last year. Would the secondary be the weakness, and where, where do you think the strength, the weaknesses would be for the defense? Yeah, I would say it'd be the safeties for sure. Uh, I've had a lot of the kid named Bentley Sanders. He was an AP midseason All American last year. He had five interceptions in like the first five games. Um, and then wow. the, another safety, Tyson Williams, was a four year starter. He's currently a graduate assistant on the team, so uh, not going to be able to help on the field as a player. So they're breaking in three new safeties. One of the safeties, a kid named Trey Weed, had 36 career starts at Eastern Washington. He was a very good player at Eastern Washington, and he's been pretty good in fall camp. Um, so he'll hold down one of the safety spots, but the free safety and the boundary safety, those guys are not experienced at all. So I could see a lot of big plays potentially in the back end if they're not correctly aligned. And on top of their game, because they got some talent back there, it's just really young talent. Um, I, again, the strength would be the inside linebacker spot. Um, Nevada has pretty good depth on the defensive line, but certainly not like the size that USC is normally going to face. And they don't have that guy that you have to double team playing and play out like they had last year with Don Peterson. So um, I'd say the middle level is pretty strong. And when you return your two starting cornerbacks, you're pretty confident about that. But definitely the back end safeties and then um, you know just the general size and lack of star power up front is something that's going to have to develop on the defensive line. They do have a really good kicker, though. I mean, Brandon. Yeah, I was going to say, special teams, like the kicker. Yeah, player, right? yeah their kicker um, is entering his fifth year. So he was a walk-on from Vacaville, California. He kicked a 56-yard field goal to beat Purdue as time expired in his first college game. Wasn't even expected to start that game. He was a true freshman walk-on, but they said, you know, we believe in you, we're going to start you. Nevada came back from 18 points late in that game. He had a 56-yard field goal. He was put on scholarship in the locker room after the game. And from that point forward, he's been one of the best uh, kickers in the FBS. Um, 80% made field goals. He's kicked three game winners as time has expired, all from 40 yards or more. He actually broke his collarbone in a freak accident last year, and that kind of kept him from turning pro because he wanted to set Nevada's all-time field goals record and all-time scoring record, which he will do. 81 points away from being the Mountain West all-time scorer. So field goal kicking, very good for Nevada. Um, I know they're very concerned about Zachariah Branch. So that's a kid. Who played at Bishop Gorman. Uh, Bishop Gorman's well known in the state of Nevada for winning all of the football state championships. They've won yeah. over the last 13. So they actually played up here uh, in Carson City, which is about 25 minutes from, from Reno in the state championship game last year. Uh, uh, the Nevada team uh, from local, Bishop Minogue, which is in Reno, actually held Branch to one catch for one yard. So I think the Wolfpack would take that wow. if they could repeat that state championship rematch. But I know Ken Wilson talked a lot about Branch's playing the special teams is really what separated USC from San Jose State in that game. So they're very concerned about that. They did change their special teams coordinator halfway through fall camp. Not ideal. Um, they also lost their special teams coordinator right before spring camp. A guy named Joe Bolden, who actually used to be a GA at USC, um, was their special teams coordinator last year. Ended up going to Tulsa right before spring camp. They hired Michael Barton from Cal. And it didn't work out, so they made a change there. Their current special teams coordinator is 23 years old. 
has a kid, kid named Peyton Yanagi. He was a long snapper at Oregon. So there's been some turnover at special teams, so I would certainly look out for that in this game. We'll see if Nevada can be sharp uh, in that facet outside of kicking. Yeah, that's funny. Um, USC doesn't even employ a special teams coordinator. It's sort of like shared duties, but Nevada's having three in the last, uh, you know, calendar year months, is kind of crazy. Yeah, or I guess yeah, a few yeah. months, like six months or something like that. There were though there was multiple coaches that sort of left. Was there two maybe second coach? Like what? So what? Maybe give it you know give us yeah. an update on what's going on with the coaching staff and what do you think kind of happened there? Yeah, not ideal. Uh, Nate Costa is their quarterbacks coach up until 12 days before the season opener. So he did quit, uh, resigned. Um, I did speak with him on the phone for a fairly lengthy story. Wouldn't say exactly what job he was taking, but it was a non-football job. I mean, we'll do some um, football uh, analyst work, game planning for for some college programs. But basically, he was offered a position. He took that salary to Nevada and said, if you match, I can stay. And Nevada opted not to match. So he resigned 12 days before the season opener. Wow. Um, he was just a quarterback's coach. Oftentimes, the offensive coordinator is also the quarterback's coach. He just did quarterbacks. He had worked with Ken Wilson at Oregon for a number of years. He was actually a captain of the 2010 uh, Oregon football team that had um, some really good players on it. So, um, you know, he, he uh, just had an opportunity outside of football that he took. Nevada took its offensive coordinator, Derek Sage, who previously worked at UCLA and made him their quarterbacks coach. It'll be the first time he works with quarterbacks at the college level. And then they made their tight ends coach, which, which Sage was coaching, Virgil Green, who was a Wolfpack alum, played 10 seasons in the NFL, retired 2019, won a Super Bowl with the uh, Broncos, Super Bowl 50. Um, and then they added Carson Strong, who was a two-time Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year with the Wolfpack 2020-2021 added him as a volunteer assistant. Um, he recently played in the USFL and wants to get into coaching. So there's definitely been a lot of changes during fall camp. Um, not really ideal, uh, but yeah, we'll see how they work out. They do now have their offensive coordinator working with their quarterbacks, which they said is a, a big plus for them. And they've got, you know, one of their great players, Virgil Green, that tight end now working on staff. He was their director of player development. So he was already around the building, but um, yeah, a kind of a more turnover than you would like heading into a season. Yeah, especially in fall camp. I think, you know, if it's like a whatever, like a Gary Anderson thing where there's like a, revol- you know, assistant coach revolt or something, it doesn't sound like that's what this was. It was just sort of like situational, like the special teams coordinator wasn't working out. Quarterback coach got a, you know, potential better opportunity or something. Yeah, there's no revolt going on. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's ill-timed. But I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, there's anything behind closed doors that is like super problematic. Um, you know, I think they're all on the same page. I mean, they will tell you that they're in a better situation now because now they have their offensive coordinator working with their quarterbacks on a daily basis and making sure they understand the game plan. And, um, you know, they have a, a couple of alums who, who join the staff. But, um, yeah, it, it certainly isn't a super messy situation. I mean, it's kind of part and parcel with Nevada. Nevada does not pay. Uh, Mountain West average coaching salaries. They have not done that for its entire existence. They're bottom two in the conference and budget. Um, They generally have been bottom two in assistant coaching pay for football salaries. Their head coach, Ken Wilson, they bumped up about 350,000 over what they were paying Jay Norvell. And he's still third to last in the Mountain West in salary. That's why Jay Norvell went to Colorado State, to be quite honest. Uh, Jay Norvell basically tripled his salary to leave here to go to Colorado State. It's the first time a sitting Mountain West football coach went to another Mountain West football team within the conference. Part of it was salary. Part of it was assistant pool. Part of it was facilities. So Nevada, under Chris Alt, had a lot of success because they had Chris Alt working for a very low rate. 
and just being an offensive genius. Yeah. And since that era, you know, they've basically been put in a situation of, if you want to be good at football, you got to raise all your level of, of infrastructure, of facilities, of salary. And they have done some good work with the facilities of late. Um, but yeah, those salaries, they're just still lagging a little bit. And that's a long story. I mean, basically, we don't have a state income tax in Nevada, so higher education is not funding it up, funded at a high level because we don't have a, a huge tax base. Oh, okay. The athletic programs are not funded at a high level. So there's not any specific reason why athletics isn't super supported beyond the fact that our tax base is fairly low because we're a no-income uh, state, which people love to, you know, that's why they live here partially. Um, But if you don't have that money going to higher education, it's not going to trickle down to athletics, which means you're not going to pay your coaches, which means it's going to be hard to retain those guys, which means it's going to be turned over more often than you would like. Yeah, because it seemed like that was more of a, you know, a a lateral move, right, for for Jay Norvell. But if you triple your salary, that's not, you know, that's no one's going to yeah. you know, fault you for that, right? Well, I mean, he's paying almost, I think, 80% of his buyout to leave Nevada, which was a couple million dollars. So that shows you that he thinks it wasn't a lateral move to put that money down. Uh, Colorado State has a brand new stadium they built in 2017, 42,000 people. It's beautiful. They're trying to get into the Big 12. Uh, they were trying to get into the Pac-12. That's why they built it. Um, whereas Nevada Stadium has been around for more than 50 years. And they did do a renovation in 2016, but it's not the caliber of, um, you know, the, the really good Mountain West stadiums, uh, you know, that are out there. Chris, I appreciate all this. Before we let you go, I know you got a lot of stuff going on there. The uh, the whole conference realignment stuff, I do a podcast of champions. I do a Pac-12 podcast as well. I just actually finished before we record this. I did our show previewing week one. But, you know, covering a Mountain West team there's still a lot of stuff that's kind of going on. Like, you you know, all the Mountain West schools could get absorbed into like a Pac-12 entity or or uh, Washington State, Oregon State could, you know, come down to the Mountain West. I don't want to say down, but just, you know, move over to the Mountain West. Um, any kind of thoughts on that? I mean, it just seems like there's people that were like kind of driving the bus and there's people sort of like watching. And I'm curious to see, you know, what what your thoughts are as a, as a you know, covering a program that's already in the Mountain West. Yeah, I mean, I would say the Mountain West as a conference is more in the category of people sitting back and watching. And typically, that's a horrible position to be in. But for whatever reason, it has worked out super well for the Mountain West. The Mountain West did not lose any of its teams to the Big 12 when they expanded. Um, They lost, uh, you know, they took three American Athletic Conference teams. So it weakened the Mountain West's biggest rival at the Group of Five level. Um, They have not lost a school since 2012. Um, so they're in very good standing in terms of that. Uh, and they could potentially end up adding Washington State and Oregon State if they just hang together. I mean, there was the thought that San Diego State was going to be out the door to the Pac-12. Certainly that didn't end up happening. So for San Diego State's sake, really bad news for them. Um, Gloria Navarez, who's the Mountain West Commissioner, actually lives up at Lake Tahoe, about 45 minutes from our studios. So she was in our studio, I think, two weeks ago to talk about all this. Uh, Nevada Athletic Director Stephanie Ramp was in the studio like an hour ago talking about some of this stuff. Uh, She played volleyball at Arizona, began her athletic administration career at Arizona, was number two in charge at Washington um, before going with Bob Woodward um, to Texas A&M and then to LSU. Um, So she's very tied into the Pac-12. And and they all say, you know, it's it's terrible what's happened to the Pac-12. Gloria Navarez worked for the Pac-12 for almost a decade before becoming the West Coast Conference Commissioner. So I think they're very sad to see that happen. But from their perspective in the Mountain West, if the Mountain West 11 full-time members just do not revolt and mutiny against each other, 
they will end up surviving and probably killing the Pac-12 as long as Stanford and Cal do eventually get that invite to the ACC or another Power Five conference. Washington State and Oregon State will have no recourse at that point other than joining the Mountain West or the AAC. The Mountain West makes so much more sense for them geographically. Yeah. But I do, I do think eventually, if Stanford and Cal get that offer, that Washington State and Oregon State are going to have to join the Mountain West. The Mountain West will go up to 13 members and, uh, you know, will be in a, a much stronger spot than they were before this latest round of conference realignment, which nobody thought was going to happen. Everyone thought Boise State's going to leave for a long time. San Diego State basically gave their notice two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it just didn't work out for them. Oh. Colorado State's been pushing to get out of this league for a long time. Air Force has made noise of leaving the Mountain West. Um, and, you know, part of that's flexing their power for things that they want, like a eight-game football schedule rather than nine games. UNLV obviously is a huge media market with nice facilities and a pretty good brand from the Jerry Car- Tarkanian days. They've been wanting to get out. So it does look like the Mountain West is going to end up being a winner in conference realignment. Of course, everything can change with one decision. Um, but it has been very interesting to see how well things have gone with the Mountain West at this point. I know Gloria Navarra has just visited Washington State and Oregon State. So yeah. she's making the pitch to those schools. Those schools obviously aren't going to make a decision until they know what's going on with Cal and Stanford. Um, but yeah, uh, super good things for the Mountain West thus far. They could end up being the top FBS West-based conference. And really, with all these conferences not not making a lot of sense geographically, if they did ask Washington State and Oregon State, the Mountain West would make a ton of sense geographically. Sure. They would all be right in the same footprint. Um, they'd all be, you know, very close to each other. They'd all be fairly similar. I mean, Washington State and Oregon State obviously have a larger budget, but that's going to shrink if they lose the TV money. So, yeah, uh, it, it's gone well for the Mountain West so far. I know they're just sitting there with their fingers crossed that it continues to go well. It could be a fun weekend, too. So Stanford's going to Hawaii, and Stanford's favored by a little, but you could see Hawaii winning that game for sure. I don't think Stanford's very good. Um, Boise State going to Seattle, play Washington. That's probably going to be tough. I think Washington's going to be really good. You know, obviously we're talking about Nevada going to SC probably won't end too well, but Washington State's going on the road to Colorado State. Like that's not going to be an easy game. And uh, Oregon State's playing San Jose State, who looked pretty good, especially on offense against USC. Um, and they're like a huge favor in that one. Like there's upset alert all over that. So there, there could yeah. be some big uh, Mountain West wins this weekend against Pac-12 schools. It's a big week for the Mountain West. The Mountain West went 1-16 in in the regular season against Power 5 competition last year, and the only one was over Colorado, and I'm not going to count that um, because it's Colorado. (laughs) Um, So the Mountain West, you go back two or three years ago, you know, they were playing pretty good football, but they hadn't gotten to that New Year's Six Bowl. They have not gotten to a New Year's Six since 2014, the first year that existed. Boise State went to the Fiesta and beat Arizona. Since then, it's been all about the American, which really leapfrogged the Mountain West over the last seven or eight years. And this is kind of the chance for the Mountain West to get back into that picture, especially with the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams. Um, Chris Alt, who we previously mentioned, is actually on the college football playoff committee this year. But the Mountain West has to do much better against Power 5 competition. They've got nine games against Power 5 foes this week. They have to improve upon that one in 16. Um, you know, San Diego State obviously had a lot of success against uh, the Pac-12, as did Boise State. Those are kind of your flagship programs in the Mountain West. So, um, you know, Nevada's not beating USC, but some of these other games, Fresno State's going to Purdue. They're only a three-point underdog. You mentioned oh, yeah. Hawaii Stanford. Hawaii's a three-point underdog. Colorado State, if they can get more out of their offense, should be able to challenge Washington State. Like you said, maybe San Jose State can give Oregon State a game. Um, Fresno State had Oregon State beat last year, and they basically they choked at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is 
the reputation of the Mountain West really hinges on what happens in the first couple of weeks. This week in particular, though, because I do think there's a lot of winnable games on the schedule. I think if the Mountain West can win three or four of these nine games against the Power Conference, they'll be pretty happy. Yeah, a few of them at home uh, were for the Mountain West school. So yeah, pretty four. Good. All right, uh, Chris Murray, uh, Nevada Sports Net. Thank you so much for uh, giving this preview for USC Nevada. I know a lot of USC fans aren't familiar with the program, but you gave a lot of great insight. So thank you so much for doing that. No problem. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the game. All right. Take care. Thanks, Chris, and everyone else. Thanks for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. All right. We have 30 seconds. Great. Let's mention the cool new products at your neighborhood Trader Joe's. We don't have enough time for all those. Or we could talk about the crew. We love the crew. That we could have customers tell us about their new Trader Joe's recipes. Did I mention we have 30 seconds? See, this is why we have a podcast called Inside Trader Joe's, so that we have time to talk about all of those things. 30 seconds is up. Inside Trader Joe's is available wherever you listen to podcasts, like this one. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.